0: Hello and welcome to Doug's Front Porch, a podcast where I get to sit down with friends, old and new, and have honest conversations. Today, I welcome to the front porch, Sarah Beth Bowmaster, a former student and uh, now uh, a friend. I think I'll say that. How's that sound, Sarah?
1: That sounds about right to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great. So uh, a little bit of background. I had Sarah Beth in high school. She was a student of mine uh, in my German program, and she took my uh, history class as well, my AP history class. Now she is a sophomore already at Penn State University. I'll let you talk a little bit. Uh, Tell everybody... um, What your major is and just just briefly a little bit about, you know, uh, where you are right now and what you're doing. And we're going to come back to all of this a little later in the interview.
1: All right. Yeah. Um, So I'm in State College right now at Penn State. Um, I'm majoring in women's gender and sexuality studies and philosophy. So I have two majors. Um, Really love them. Super fun. Um, Not doing much because of the current, you know, circumstances with COVID and everything just kind of hanging out in my apartment, but it's cool to be on my own and have my own little place so I'm enjoying it anyways.
0: Uh well I wasn't going to talk about this now but you brought it up so I'm going to ask. So we're recording this uh in September and uh COVID uh is kind of rearing its ugly head again here in Central Pennsylvania. So how are things going at Penn State? Are your classes in person? Are you online? Is it a mix of both?
1: Yeah, so I'm all online. Um most of my friends have a mix of online with like Zoom And in-person classes, like I said, I'm still living up here, but uh, all of my courses are online.
0: Was that a choice that you made or was that a choice that like your professors made and said, look, our class, this class is online. This is your, you know, this is how you have to do it.
1: Yeah, so whenever I sign up for my courses, I had one that was in-person Um, but just like logistically, it didn't seem right to just go to one and try to like get from a zoom to a class in 15 minutes. So I just switched stuff around, kind of made that personal choice to stick it out at home and just do them online, which I guess, yes, the professors did have choices, but all of mine have chosen to like go online.
0: So now that you've been doing it a little bit uh, and you did it in the spring too, what's your take on, on online education like that virtual?
1: um I think we're doing the best we can I don't think it's as beneficial as in-person courses but at this point the spring was a little rocky um just being thrown onto zoom in like two days but now that we've had like the professors have had time to plan you know the students are more used to it um it's a lot easier to do stuff online and actually like make those connections have good discussions so I've been enjoying my classes so far um I'm like in a mostly discussion, reading, lecture-based uh, majors, so it's not so hard to move online, which I'm really lucky for. So I think we're doing mm-hmm. the best we can, um, and we're we're doing, you know, we're doing okay for now.
0: Okay, yeah, it's 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 a whole new world, one hundred percent, as far as education goes. In all of this, for sure. What's campus like? Um, I mean, students came back. Uh, I, I take it not all the students came back, but I mean, Penn State, you know, huge school, you know, for those of, for, for those of you listening that aren't familiar, Penn State, uh, Pennsylvania State University is one of the largest universities in the country, uh, 40, 40, some thousand students undergraduate and then another 15,000 or so graduate students. So it's huge. It's its own city. Um, and normally under normal c- circumstances, it's, you know, it, it's bustling. It, it's exciting. There's all these people, you know, but how does how's campus feel right now?
1: It feels pretty strange. Um, I was expecting it to be more empty, kind of feel more weird and like apocalyptic, but we've been pretty normal. Um, a good number of students came back, which I was really surprised about, mostly off-campus students, so upperclassmen of apartments, um, have come back. So downtown and on campus, like University Park, still pretty pretty uh, moving, but It's definitely weird seeing everyone in masks and they have, um, testing locations for COVID everywhere because I think, um, like 700 or so get selected every day to get tested. Some, some crazy big number every day have to go get tested. So they just have like parking decks and tents outside to be tested how
0: How does that work? Do you get like an email or a notification that says, okay, it's your day, please go get tested? Or can you voluntarily, you know, get tested?
1: Yeah, it's an email. So, um, you know, you get the email, you have to pick a time and a place, go get tested that day. And if you don't um, comply with that email, your Penn State accounts are all shut down.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, it's man. for real. It's
1: intense.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, it has to be, I mean, it, it has to be given the, you know, the amount of people that are there. Um, well, that's enough COVID talk. We might come yeah, back to that later, but I want to talk about some other yeah. stuff. Um, let's let's go right. back to young little Sarah Beth growing up in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. <laughs> you are the young. You are the youngest sibling out of. Uh, is it four
1: in your family? There, there are five of us. So I'm number five.
0: Okay, and what was that like being the youngest of? Because uh, I'm the oldest in my family, uh, and you know what, what was that like?
1: Well, so I'm the only girl in the family. So four older brothers. um, We range from 35 to 18. So it was definitely interesting. Um, My closest brother, Robbie, who you know pretty well, he's uh, just now turned 20. So we're super close in age. Like it was always fun to have some like built-in friends at home to just like goof off with, make your parents mad with. Um, You know, as you get older like in our teenage years, things were always very interesting. Um, I always felt like very protective of at least Robbie, who was close in age with me, felt kind of Uh like a third parent to him. So I don't know. I think maybe uh, growing up with all those boys and like, just kind kind of being thrown into that uh, made me so ultra feminist like I am today, which, you know, (laughs)
0: Well, we'll talk about that. Uh also growing up and, and still your both of your parents were really were were really active in the local fire company, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, they still are. Um my so the little township that we live in, my dad was a firefighter um and my parents were both EMTs before I was born. My dad was the chief of um the fire department before I was born. They kind of let go of that for a little while um raising all of us, you know, five kids, it's a lot and working full time. So once we got older, um, probably when I was 15 or 16, I could drive myself, you know, they got back into it. And my dad is the fire chief. And my mom's the president of like, the fire company. So she does all the logistics and like the fundraising and things like that. And they they really love it. Um, Definitely a big part of their life and like, mine as well.
0: Yeah. That's what I was wondering, like growing up and experiencing that, did that instill in you like a sense of service or a sense of like, uh, giving back to the community? Cause not every kid grows up seeing their parents involved in an organization like that. How did that, uh, what did that do for you?
1: Yeah, I think it definitely did. Um, you know, that like civic engagement part of it definitely stuck with me. Um, in different ways. And I guess for a while, you know, that was just what I thought was normal. I thought everyone's parents did crazy stuff like that. And having a, a police scanner in your house was normal. And having like your dad leave <laughs> at midnight to go to some car wreck was normal. So I never, you know, until I got to high school or middle school, I never really realized that was a weird thing. And like, I'd have friends stay over at my house and the police scanner, would, like go off in the middle of the night, and they'd be super freaked out, like someone's talking. And I'm like, oh, no, it's just like, there's a fire wreck or something, no, no big deal. And they're like, well, that's kind of weird, but super normal for me.
0: Yeah. Well, I got to know you in high school. uh, So that's the Sarah Beth that I got to know. Uh, And the one thing that has always impressed, impressed me about you particularly is that, you know, I've had thousands of students in my career and some have been very uh, uh, driven and involved in things at school. And then there was you, uh, who took that to the next (laughs) level up. You were, you were involved in, in so many things and not just, you weren't just a member of things. You were always a leader in whatever organization you joined, whether it was student government or a class officer or German honor society or whatever you became attached to on campus. I remember always, you were, you weren't just a member, you were a leader, uh, where's that come from? Is it, it, do you feel that you just have this natural uh, pull to, to, or do you just like being bossy? Do you like telling people what to do or talk a little <laughs> bit about that? Uh,
1: yeah, I've, I appreciate that. That's very sweet of you to say. Um, I guess I just felt like it's, you know, someone's has to do it and um if I have that ability and I'm able to, you know, change the place I'm in for the better, um, cause you know, high school, well, I was only there for three years, but usually you're there for four. Um, college, you're only here for four years. You know, you just have a small bit of time to make that place better, kind of leave your mark. And I just felt some sort of inherent duty to do that. Um, honestly, I don't really think about it. I just kind of throw myself into things <laughs> and, like end up, um, trying to help lead or like, make things happen. Um, I'm not a very shy person. I think that kind of helps. So I guess it's just the way I've always been, I've just always felt that need to, you know, help. And um, I think it's a lot easier to get things done. Uh, if there's a leader who can speak up, and I've, you know, always felt pretty confident in speaking up to what I believe in and the people around me. Um, so that's kind of why I just like throw myself into things and try to help out.
0: Yeah. Uh, you, you, you hinted at something that I was going to talk about too. You said, well, I was only in high school for three years. So yeah, let's throw that out there. You, uh, worked ahead and graduated a year early. Again, something the typical high school student doesn't do. Was that something you had always planned or was it just something that worked out and you took advantage of the situation that you were in? Yeah,
1: I kind of just saw an opportunity going into my junior year. Um, I would only need two courses uh, in senior year to graduate. I figured, why not get it done now? Um, I felt ready to move on to like the next step, move out of Lock Haven, you know, kind of explore, go to college, get things going. So I just figured, why not? And I just said, hey, parents, I'm going to graduate early. And they said, all right. And so that was kind of the end of it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah well uh i don't know i don't think i ever told you this but when i found out i was quite uh i don't say i was heartbroken but uh i took the news rather hard uh knowing that i was gonna miss out on a year working with you um but i know that in the end it was for the best i can't be selfish like that uh but uh i'll I'll be honest when i first found out about it uh i really was like i I, you know i never said it to you but I i deep down i i was hurt a little bit but uh in the end like i said uh it, it, you know, you had opportunities to take advantage of, and you're the kind of person that you, you know, you continually prove that if there is an opportunity, I'm going to try. Uh, and uh, for yeah. that, you know, I'm super proud of you for that because most most people just aren't. Driven like that, um, and you you know you left co- you left high school early, you graduated early, and you got um, accepted into Shrier's Honors College at Penn State. You know, uh, an honor for sure to be accepted into a program like that. And you didn't slow down. You got to college and you started getting involved in things on campus. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. You're part of the uh, the undergrad association, which you told me is the the equivalent of like a student government on campus. Um, what what's that been like?
1: Yeah, so it's called the University Park Undergraduate Association, just pretty much student government. Um, it kind of follows the federal government and like the different branches. So I serve in the executive branch as the co-director of sexual assault and misconduct prevention. Um, something I was really passionate about and the new president and vice president that took over, you know, opened up that, um, that position. Uh, I had talked to one of their executive advisors who is a good friend of mine. Uh, she had known that I was very passionate about that. So I just kind of jumped in. And so what we want to do with that is a lot of like peer education, um, against sexual violence and misconduct. Uh, you know, the true definition of consent being, being able to teach our peers that, um, Penn state has a rough history and still, um, really bad issues with things like sexual assault and misconduct and, um, I've just felt very drawn to doing something um, to change that. And then on campus, I like um, participate in research. So I'm in a research lab and our focus through um, women's studies and social psychology is masculinity and sexual violence. So I had that background, um, knew I was really interested in that, want to continue researching that. And so it just seemed like a really good fit. And I've definitely been enjoying that. It's like the biggest org, um, maybe the second biggest to Greek life, but a huge organization on campus, um, a lot of student power, student voice. And, you know, I was just really drawn to that. Uh,
0: and I know you're, you're not an expert in the field, but you're a voice in the field. So I have to talk to you a little bit about this. You brought up, you know, the, this, the sexual assault problem. Crisis that we face in this country, and it's not just you know it's not just college campuses it's it's across the board all ages. But you're focusing you know at the collegiate level where you are right now. So let's talk about that. Um, And it's something I I personally just don't understand. Um, I mean I I understand what it is, but I guess I want to ask you, being a you know being a college age student right now, having grown up in an era where it's now something that we even talk about. I mean, we, you know, for years and years and years, you didn't, it was just wasn't talked about. Um, And therefore nothing happened of course too, you know, there was no change, but now people are talking about it in your, in your opinion, why do you think we Mm -hmm. have this problem in the first place? Like, why Um, is it so bad?
1: Yeah. Yeah. At the collegiate level. um, I think there's just such a lack of education on what consent is. I think that um, goes into it. I think that, you know, through my research, researching like gender roles and gender construction um, as like a social construct, we can see that often men are forced into these roles, these like social, socially constructed roles of aggression and dominance. And, um, you know, w- with uh, my lab, we did a study about how men and women act differently to, like, rejection or, like, some sort of, like, dating rejection. And um, we found that women don't really react to, like, any sort of um, gender, like, like anyone threatening their gender. So, like, calling them not feminine, things like that. But uh, um, right. men okay. are just, yeah, men are more um, prone to be violent. And I think that comes from how society is... Um, raising men like you you're born into these gender roles and at a young age you know I've seen it in my own family growing up with brothers I if I cried because I fell down on the playground like that was okay but you know maybe the boy cries and he's scolded by his father or his mother for being like not manly enough so you get that at such a young age so I think that it comes in there with if there's any sort of rejection that automatic um, response is to act aggressively and I think then on the, the other side, women are taught to be um, these kind of docile, shy, passive creatures. So whenever they um, are receiving that aggression, it's their go to to just act passively, not react, not really say anything. Um, and then that goes back to the consent where like the absence of a no isn't a yes. But when you have that like ultra aggression and then the ultra like passive type people, um, together, no one's saying no or yes. And that's where the confusion comes in. And I think that's, um, probably in college, the biggest issue and why it happens.
0: Do you, and you, 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 talk about, you know, trying to teach people about consent and so forth. So, and I imagine you've been mm-hmm. involved in groups that maybe have been on campus trying to talk about this stuff. When you talk to other students about these, these topics, how is your message received?
1: Um, there's a lot of apathy with the message. Um, yeah, you know, I, I told you I worked as an orientation leader of the summer. And we were on zoom for us this summer. And then the week before um, classes began in the week of classes, we did some in person stuff. And we talked about consent. And I tried my hardest to emphasize the importance and how much like I, I really cared about it. And um, it was a lot of just like, oh, that won't apply to me or oh, like, You know, I know this already, things like that. And then um, usually what got these students more engaged is giving them the statistics that we know, like one in four college women and one in 16 college men um, report being sexually assaulted in college. And I think that that kind of really strikes them. um, And that's even without what was the the, uh, say that again. What was the
0: number for women?
1: One in four college women and then one in 16 college men
0: and that's just the the number of of people that are actually reporting it right that's reporting. not that's yeah. not an it's ac- not an accurate number i mean it can't be exactly. I, it has to be higher i'm i'm sure yeah, yeah. that's incredible and that's uh, what i
1: that's what i told them and then they you can yeah. kind of see that shock and that kind of grabs the attention and it it's you know it's not ideal that we have to kind of have that like shock factor in something that people should just care about anyways but at some point you know you have to be realistic and be like listen this is a problem that you your best friend your cousin your neighbor your roommate like you're all gonna have to face whether it's you or someone you know and that's really the only time I think it hits home for them whenever you tell them you know someone you know has been sexually assaulted and someone you're gonna meet is gonna be sexually assaulted and Uh, It's your responsibility as like a a community member and a person to do what you can to combat that.
0: Right. It's, it's a much, and again, it's, I think our country is facing a lot of issues uh, right now um, across the board. Um, And sometimes I think, we have so many things on our plate that a lot of things get pushed, pushed aside or pushed under or whatever. Um, yeah. but you know, I think between, between this, you know, when I look at collegiate life in the United States, you know, absolutely sexual assault on campuses and off campus and also, um, the, the issues around alcoholism too. And I think that also ties into, and I'm sure, I mean, there's tons of probably studies out there that, you know, the, the, the um and again it goes to this construct that you know you go to college and you're supposed to party and you're supposed to you know get blackout drunk on a friday night otherwise you're not experiencing college correctly and those things just lead to more issues of course um Mm -hmm. i don't even know how a a, how a university especially one the size of like penn state i mean yes it's going to take people like you students and organizations trying to get the word out but I, and I don't want to burst your balloon or anything, but it's such a problem that I, I mean, how I mean, I hope that that the ship can be changed, you know, turned, um, but yeah. it's a massive ship to turn.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, I've been very open with my opinions about how Penn State um, administration has handled this and not just the current administration, but the past as well. I think that, as you said, you know, there are such big issues going on all the time. And I think this is one of them that gets swept under the rug and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and you know, I don't have the answers either. I don't, I don't know what is going to change when it's going to change, but right. You know, even if I can, you know, with this, with the stuff, the groups that I'm involved in and I do, even if we can get, you know, a handful of people to really listen and care about this and then get them, get a handful of people and then have it go out like that. Um, you know, that's saving countless people from experiencing that. So I I count that as a win, even if it's like a small win, not the war, but the battle, you know?
0: Right, right, right. Well, I'll ask you this and then we'll move on. But if you could, if you woke up tomorrow and you were the president of a major university and you could do anything, you know, uh, and this was your, this was the hill you were going to die on, what's one thing that you would automatically, you know, Decree, decree from the president of the university. This is going into effect immediately. What's one thing you would do uh, to combat this?
1: Um, I think the first thing I would do, which I'm trying to push really hard here, is that making um, sexual assault and misconduct and consent training mandatory for all first-year students in their first-year seminars, where they're getting a grade for their participation, their understanding— Um, to assure that they're at least for that moment really paying attention and listening to this. Um, I think that's just like number one. And I would honestly decide to have peer educators do that. I think that there's a level of respect between a peer um, and another peer, especially an upperclassman with an incoming freshman where you can say, hey, like these are my experiences. This is real. I'm here just like you are. This is what happens. You need to wake up and pay attention. Um, so I think I need that mandatory where they had to demonstrate understanding as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm fighting for you here. I hope that you guys can, can make a change, uh, and, uh, take Penn state and all college campuses in a, in a positive direction on this for sure. Honestly, um, Let's let's switch gears now. So we've talked about uh, your involvement there with your local uh, student government association. So politics, when I knew you as a junior in high school and sophomore, you were one of those rare students that actually was interested in the news and <laughs> politics. And you weren't just, you weren't a passive news junkie or passive political junkie. You were, you know, you got wonky, which is good. It's great. It was, you know, I could talk to you about stuff that I couldn't talk to with the, you know, about with the normal student. So. You get to Penn State and then you're like, you know, everything I'm doing still isn't enough. I want to find and 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 do something more. So I'm going to go in and create the first collegiate chapter of League of Women Voters, which you did at Penn State.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, my first year English professor was like, we just got along very well. Um, she's also very passionate about uh, politics. Dr. Jess O'Hara, she's great. And she was like, hey, um, the Center County League of Women Voters, like, wants to help students. Like, do you want to come to this meeting with me? And we went to the meeting. There was a handful of students there and a rep from the Center County League. And we talked it through. And we we're like, well, maybe we should, you know, start a, a group here. And that kind of led into, well, why don't we start an organization? And we need a president. And I was like, yeah, I can I can do that. I can start it up. So um, yeah, we've been doing that, doing some tabling, getting involved with College of Liberal Arts, um, doing some women's activism uh, events last year for the 100th anniversary, or like last semester for the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage. Um, we're mm-hmm. you know do, in a lot of collaborations right now with figuring out what to do with voter registration for students who, you know, what if in two weeks we're sent home? What do they do if they're registered here? And what do we do about mail-in or absentee? Um, so, yeah, it's just another thing. Like I said earlier, just kind of said, well, why not? And got involved. And we're the first collegiate chapter. It's super awesome. We're still pretty small group on campus, but um, we're doing what we can and hoping to grow our numbers more this year once things settle down and we can get some meetings going.
0: What's it about politics that interests you so much?
1: <laughs> um. Uh, I am very like people driven. Um, I've always just felt as if like in this world, um, you know, the two biggest things that we need to worry about are the people around us and the, like the earth itself. And, um, I guess politics, in my opinion is very personal. You know, there's this quote that came from second wave feminism, um, the personal is political. And I think that's very true. Um, so I guess I've just been drawn to it for that reason and wanting people to use their voice um, within their vote. And I want people, you know, to think about um, all of those affected by their political choices or their actions or their beliefs. And that's kind of kept me coming back to it and caring about it.
0: Do you find uh, – well, I guess I'll ask this. Most of most of your peers, um, are they – do you feel that they're pretty – uh, politically active right now, given the environment and the culture that's going on? Or do you find that most of your peers are still pretty, uh, it's politics. I don't, you know, I hate politics. I don't want to get involved in any of that stuff.
1: Um, I'd say in high school, it was mostly, uh, don't want to get involved or like absolutely clueless. And now that I've been at Penn state, I'd say it's probably a 50, 50 split, honestly here. Um, there is a very large percentage of students who are very active, uh, really care about politics and um, like the shape of the nation, things like that. But then there's that other side that is just kind of like, eh, I don't need to worry about it yet. Not interested, don't want to get involved, too controversial, you know, things like that. So I'd say
0: 50-50. If you could look into your crystal ball into the future, do you think your generation will turn out the vote in November? <sighs>
1: Um, do a lot of your, have
0: a lot of your friends said, Oh, I'm voting, uh, or, or are your friends not saying that kind of stuff? Okay. I was just curious. All of my
1: friends are registered. Um, so I, I hope so. I'm not going to say it's going to be amazing, but I think it will be better than 2016. And I think, you know, this new generation of voters, um, does care more than maybe that in between, um, age that was just beginning to vote in 2016 so i'll say
0: yes yes we're gonna we're gonna turn okay the vote. crystal ball says yes all right um <laughs> i'm gonna ask you two questions that i'm gonna go a little deep here um but as we're getting towards okay. the end here what uh why do you think it is about you or from your experiences in life that make you so driven what is it do you think it's just like in your dna or uh tell me cuz it's something i've always wondered about
1: oh, you get up in the morning and,
0: and like you i i i knew it it is a tough question but what <laughs> why why do you think you are so driven cuz you are not the average you're not the average student that i've worked with um, but most people, I mean, I think, I think on a whole, you know, most people have something that they're passionate about or something that they really care about. And, and that does push them and, and, and gets, you know, gets them to get up in the morning, et cetera. Um, but you have always the, the Sarah Beth that I know you, and from this interview, the people listening that are getting to know you now, they've heard it. You, I don't think you can sit still. It doesn't sound like that. You know what I mean? You're <laughs> driven. You're, you're always, you're always pushing forward. What, Why? Where does that come from, do you think?
1: Um, as Like you said, I can't really sit still. I get very bored and um, I feel like, I don't know, I feel almost a sense of guilt if I'm not doing something. Um, and I, I don't know what that comes from exactly. I mean, I've always been taught to be like a hardworking person, but my parents were very hands-off, very do-your-own-thing, and I guess I just... of developed that need to like always be going and doing something and you know if i have that energy i have that need why not put it to good use and um i've always had that really emotional pull towards just people in general and huge amounts of compassion and um that need to like try to help and so i think all of those things combined and, um, you know, growing up in Lock Haven, growing up in the circumstances I did, family circumstances, things of that nature, I guess I saw like there is a lot of apathy. There's a lot of lack of compassion, lack of care for the world around you um, and the people around you. And that kind of made me want to be different from that. And I think that keeps me like pushing and going too.
0: I'm going to ask you this deep question, too because not everybody has this, but you do. What makes you confident? What gives you confidence <laughs> to, get up, you know, to, 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 to get up and talk in front of a bunch of people to try and try and change people's opinions on things to, um, you know, grab the bull by the horns, which you do all the time. What, what gives you confidence? Where does that come? does that come from?
1: Maybe it was growing up with four older boy siblings. Maybe it was that maybe it was just I was born that way. But I don't know, I think everyone's a person like you're getting up in front of what's the difference between talking to like three people and 300. They're all still people and Everyone feels well, that. Well, in, in, <laughs> are you gonna? Are you gonna if, you ask, if you ask the
0: if you ask the average person that, they're gonna tell you really quickly. There's a huge difference between talking in front of three people or three hundred people. Uh, but that's just that's your that's your how you view the world, which I yeah. think is again different from the average person. I would say it's a bad thing. I think it's a great yeah. quality <laughs> that you that you can that you own. Um, but it's true, you know. I, I that's one thing too that I always noticed about you from the start was that you you exuded confidence, and uh, you know it's a trait that's uh, that's hard to find, uh, and the people that have it, uh, you know, c- it can come off two ways. Being confident can come off being making it seem like you're arrogant. Um, but I never got that. I never picked up on that vibe from you, I, and I don't. I don't think you ever meant it that way. I never found you to be an arrogant yeah. person you know there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance i think and uh, you have always walked on the side of of real confidence like i'm going to do something and i guess you know most confident people i'm going to ask you this question how do you deal with setbacks so you don't win all the time sarah so when you yeah. when you run into a wall or you know you're trying to do something and it just doesn't go your way you've, you've been fighting and and the administration <laughs> says nope not going to do it how do you yeah, I mean- deal how, how do you how do you deal with that?
1: You saw that happen in high school a lot with like student government. And usually, um, I'd say for anywhere from an hour to a day, I'm just like spent emotionally spent. I get very upset. And then I'll wake up the next day. I'm like, well, guess I just got to try again. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of like a resetting the the dial or just turning back and going, well, it didn't work that time. You know, got to do it again. And that's kind of if we, like, if we could, wait, go ahead.
0: if we, if, if we could put that in a pill form to give people, <laughs> do you know how much money we'd make <laughs> to just be able to say, man, well, it didn't go my way. All right, brush it <laughs> off. We're going to try again. That's, I think that most people, I think if they could take a pill to give them that quality, I think they would buy that for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes on those bad days, you know, all that, like, I'm just like, oh, it's happened so much. Like these bad things, what do I do? And I have those moments, but, um, you know, something usually just resets and, you know, I'll talk to people. I I really like to talk things out. So I'll call up, um, you know, someone talk about it. And the next day I'm usually like, well, that sucked. I guess we're moving on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, Sarah, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I end all of my episodes with, uh, quick questions that I've been asking all my guests. And, uh, if you've been listening, I don't know if you have, you might actually know some of these, but I want to hear your (laughs) answers to some of these questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. First one. What is your morning drink of choice?
1: Iced coffee with cream, no sugar.
0: Iced coffee. That's not even coffee. Mm -hmm. That's a discussion for another day. Okay. (laughs) Uh, number two, Number two, what is your or who is your go to musical artist or group?
1: Fleetwood Mac. I think you probably remember that.
0: (laughs) Yes, I I figured it was either them. I had a couple bands in my head thinking about you, which (laughs) ones it would you would say. And that, yeah, Fleetwood Mac was one of them. Uh, Number three, what movie can you watch over and over again? And it never gets old.
1: American Beauty, my favorite movie of all time.
0: That's a good film. Yep. Number four, what's the last thing that you read?
1: Um, I just read a play for a class. I just finished it today. It was called Indecent by Paula Vogel.
0: Okay. Number five, what's your favorite pizza topping?
1: Cheese. That's boring. Okay. I know.
0: Cheese. <laughs> no, that's a, no, just a good slice of cheese pizza is tough to beat. Come on now. Don't hate them. That's <laughs> Number six, laying on the beach or going for a hike?
1: Hike, definitely hike.
0: Okay, okay. Seven, you have invited me over for dinner. What are you cooking?
1: Cheese tortellini. That's what I cook everyone. Okay.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, that's your go-to meal? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's what, if anyone's coming over, I always get the Trader Joe's cheese tortellini. I guess I'm not really cooking it, but I boil it, so <laughs> I, I put the effort in. No,
0: that's cooked. There you go. That's cooking. That's cooking. <laughs> number eight. What is a dream vacation destination for you?
1: Ooh, um, probably Amsterdam. I think it'd be very cool to visit. Anywhere in Europe, it is obviously. an awesome
0: city. I, I hope you. Uh, I hope you get there someday. You'll. You will really enjoy it. It's a great city. Um. Okay. Number nine. What's something you're afraid of?
1: Catch up. I don't know if you remember that. I'm like
0: terrified of ketchup. I forgot that. But now that you said it, yeah, because I think I went off on you in class one day about you how to be afraid of ketchup. <laughs> Everyone does. Everyone
1: freaks out about it. That's like a silly fear, but yeah. definitely, definitely. There. We're just
0: going to let that out there. And the and the listeners can, can take that in whatever direction they want as to why <laughs> is she afraid of ketchup? We'll just let that out there. Uh, and the last question, what job uh, – well – so you're currently a student, but yeah. what is a dream job for you?
1: My dream job is to be a women's studies professor.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's totally in the realm of possibilities <laughs> for you. Uh, yeah. And I hope someday that that dream is fulfilled. Um, Sarah Beth, I can't say enough how proud I am of you as, a, as having you as a former student and what you've done in just the short amount of time that you've been on this earth uh, and I know that only good things are going to follow you because you have that drive, you have that confidence and you have the desire to make the world a better place. We need more people like you, Sarah Beth, out there and uh, just thank keep you. doing what you're doing. Um, I got your back anytime you need you need me. That's for <laughs> sure. Uh, and uh, uh, I wish you all the best the rest of the semester. Be safe on campus. Um, and thank you so much for coming on the front porch and doing this episode with me.
1: Yeah, thank you. This was awesome. I miss chatting with you.
0: (laughs) We can remedy that hopefully soon.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, thank you for listening to Doug's Front Porch, a conversational podcast with your host, Doug Maidenford. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Doug's Front Porch. You can find us there. Also, please feel free to tell all of your friends about the show. I'll see you all next time on My Front Porch.